You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Vanessa, why don't you come on up? Give a round of applause. And um, before, before you do your reading, Vanessa, um, incredible woman, and we have a, the Bible commands us to rejoice with one another, and there's a, a moment to celebrate now. Those of you that don't know the story, Vanessa um, moved over from Jamaica um, to find work and start a new life. Your husband, Dave, and two daughters stayed in Jamaica, and you thought it would be a quick move over, right? And it took two years. And you've been praying, and I imagine weeping, and waiting, and waiting, and guys, Dave and the girls are here in the house this morning. <laughs> Say hey, Dave. <laughs> it's a, amazing. So, um, praise Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. <laughs> the reading this morning is taken from St. Matthew 13 verses 1 to 23. It's a parable of the sower. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, Some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be whoever has will be given more and they will, have, they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's hearts has come calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, Many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears a message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. 
This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone whose heart, who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. 23 and last. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what is sown. Vanessa. Well, good morning to you all again. Um, this morning I want to talk to you about the power of the few. The power of the few. It's interesting to me is if you look throughout the scriptures and indeed church history, God seems to elevate and indeed highlight the power of the few. In other words, God doesn't seem to need a lot of people in order to fulfill his purposes. You see, the church isn't tasked with changing the world, but being the world already changed by Christ. And God is looking for individuals. He's looking for the few whom he can take hold of and through us change the world. Now, in today's culture, we're such a a vast population, we believe instinctively that there is strength in numbers. The more people think about something through media, the more we think that is the right thing to do. The more popular something is, then that is the way we often follow. We like to be with the masses. We enjoy certainly being on the side of the majority, not in the minority. Largeness is strength. There is safety in numbers. And there's a lot of truth in that, but not necessarily when it comes to God and his purposes. God has never, ever, ever let numbers influence him. He started the entire human race with just a single couple. He spared the world with just a family of eight. He started a whole nation from Abraham and Sarah. He saved Israel's family with just Joseph. He delivered Israel with, from Egypt with just Moses and Aaron. He delivered Israel from the Midianites by the hand of Gideon and 300 men. He destroyed the 400 prophets of Baal by the word of one prophet, Elijah. He said he'd spare Sodom and Gomorrah if he could just find 50 righteous people. He changed the course of the world by the death of his one and only son. He impacted the entire world, which is why we're sat here today, by 12 disciples. He fed 5,000 people with just a few loaves and fishes. 
500 people saw the risen Jesus, but only 120 were in the upper room when the Holy Spirit fell. And we could go on and on and on, but God specializes in the few. Just because you have a few resources in your hands, today you shouldn't be discouraged. Just because you are alone, don't feel defeated. Just because the odds are against you, do not quit. Just because the next step is small, do not discredit it. God specializes in the few. There is great value in a little. And Jesus said these outrageous, challenging statements like this. After many followers left Jesus, he turned to his closest disciples and said, do you want to leave too? Now imagine we did that at the newcomers. Do you want to go? It's not usually in our script of when we talk to new people who are thinking about joining the church. He said, many are called, but few are chosen. And movements in church history have often started when God gets a hold of a man or a woman or just a few people, usually praying, and they see revival. You may be the only Christian in your neighborhood. You may be the only Christian in your class or work. And one of the principles I've been discipling my kids through is the old axiom that if you don't stand for something, you fall for anything. Please pray for my children. It must be a nightmare to live with a pastor. They'll have their breakfast before I'm coming out with these things. And um, we've been looking at that over the summer. And of course, that stuff gets tested. One of my girls came home just this week, first week back at school, being persecuted for her faith. People picking on her in class because she's a Christian. And also because your dad comes in and speaks at this school. So she's getting grief because I go in and speak at school. That's a hard thing for any dad to process. So I gave her my talk, <laughs> trialed it out. God specializes in the few. He's looking for the one who will stand in the gap. I remember at university, um, in, I studied law, and I was in a, a lecture theater, there was about 120 people. And I don't know why you would ask this. We were looking at jurisprudence, which is the morality of law, but the lecture theater said, who here does not believe in sex before marriage? And I looked around the room, and I saw some Christians from the whole University Christian Union. I saw a few other people from different religions, and I thought, well, in for a penny, in for a pound. Maybe if I go, some others will follow me. And of course, I was the only one with my hand up. And the amount of grief I got for that was, was horrific. I got people shouting at me and arguing with me in the lecture theater. I got people who just kind of keep their distance away from me. And then in my third year, I got approached and was asked to be the president of the Law Society. And I remember that because I didn't really have any interest in law from my first lecture, and I didn't ever go to anything to do with the Law Society. So I'm like, why is that? And of course, I said no, because I don't have an interest in it. But I felt like the Lord spoke to me about that. I said, I'm honoring you for that decision you made two years ago. Because you stood up for me when nobody else would, I've honored you. 
And I've discovered that throughout my entire life, that the decisions you make in the secret place, the decisions you make when you're the only one standing up for Jesus, God sees that and he honors that. And he blesses you because of that. God specializes in the few, but he wants there to be more than a few. Sadly, there's just a few because many do not pick up the call of God on our lives. And so I want to look at this parable that Vanessa read to us. Jesus spoke through stories. I think over a quarter of what he communicated was through stories, and these stories are called parables. And the whole idea of parables was to sift the many from the few. It starts off with a large crowd, but by the end of the parable, we kind of get just a few people, a handful of people. And it was only though the few who received and understood what Jesus was trying to say, and we see that in verses 10 to 17, that really are the few that get it. And Jesus was a genius. And I best liken parables to kind of like a stealth bomber or like a ninja. You're just listening to this story and it suddenly just hits you out of nowhere. But only a few ever really understood what Jesus was trying to say. So people, as you see in verse 2, turned up in their droves to hear Jesus give this incredible message. Will he say something that will completely change my life? This awesome speech, arousing speech. Let's see the, this Jesus do miracles before us. And then they get a story that most of them don't understand. Can you imagine that? You turn up to hear a rousing speech to see miracles, to see Jesus. There's a huge crowd, and you hear this simple story that nobody gets, and that's the end of it. No understanding, no theology, no explanation. And he basically says this, and this is repeated, isn't it? And we, particularly in the book of Revelation, he who has ears, let them hear. So if you have spiritual ears to hear what Jesus is saying, let them hear. So the few, some stayed back to talk to teacher, so to speak. And those who heard and understood, this was the premise of what they would have heard and understood. Verse 21, when trouble comes, and let me insert in there because this is something we're all experiencing all at once right now, the pandemic When trouble comes, like a pandemic, verse 21, the question is this, how far do your roots go down? This is how I'm going to sift the many from the few, is that when trouble and hardship and persecution and pain and suffering comes in your life, how far do your roots go down? Are you rooted? Reference there, you read about it in verse 6. And in this parable, the issue isn't the sower. It's not God. It's not the communicator of the good news of the kingdom. The issue isn't the sower of the seed. The issue isn't the seed. The issue is never the word itself, the word of God. The issue here is those who are receiving the word. The issue is the soil of our hearts. That's what Jesus is saying here. The issue is the soil of our hearts. Verse 15, our hearts have become 
calloused. In other words, if we want to be the few, then we need to recognize that what we face is a spiritual problem with our hearts. And I ask this question as I'm reading this text, and God's been speaking to me about the parable of for some time now, and I'm like, God, why don't you ever just come out with it? Just tell us what's on the tin. Just tell us what's required. I, I think, I don't know about you, but I'm much better if you just tell me what I need to do. I tell my wife that all the time. Just tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it. Why is it that Jesus goes around and often says, look, do not tell anyone who I am? Have you have to ever wondered that as you read the New Testament? And I think it's this, that Jesus often spoke in these kind of riddles and parables and stories because he recognized that the call of the kingdom must come with a cost and a price. And it was to sift those out who are willing to pay the price and those who aren't. In other words, if you just want to follow Jesus because he will give you a better life, which is promised by much of the westernized Christianity, which is why I think the church has so many problems with discipleship right now, is that is the wrong way to go about it. That is idolatry. If I want Jesus just to get a better life, that is idolatry. That's using God for my own gain. But if I follow Christ for the sake of Christ, because he is worthy, then truly we have heard the call of Jesus. Jesus wants followers, but followers that are genuine seekers, not casual inquirers. And it's about having our roots in him and in this understanding. That when a curveball happens in your life, when something happens that has brought pain and suffering and difficulty and trouble, that we do not jump ship. This parable like so many other stories that Jesus tells, is to filter out those who want their version of Jesus on their terms versus the real Jesus. Because the parable causes you to do some digging. It causes you to do some searching and some seeking. And parables are there to conceal and to also reveal Conceal in terms of those who have no desire whatsoever to hunger and to seek and to search and discover what the word is saying and to filter out our version of Jesus because it takes effort to unlock the door and to open the door and to go through it. So those who have no appetite, no desire for the word, then stories, the secrets of the kingdom conceal but reveals to those who search and seek with hunger for truth i'm not satisfied i'm going to keep knocking keep inquiring keep digging keep searching keep looking into his word and i believe that today there are many casual onlookers but few committed Seekers, And the challenge for all of us today is which one of us are we? That's what this parable begs the question. 
Are we a casual onlooker that's just going through life? Or are we a committed seeker? And I believe strongly this is what God is doing in this sifting in this moment of history. And Jesus moves on to now do an analysis on the most important thing, which is the soil of our hearts. He does an analysis on the soil of our hearts so that we can work out what's going on with our hearts. And this will help us all to remain rooted if we can work out the soil of our hearts. So there are four different ways or four different soils in which you can receive not only the message of the gospel, but also the lordship of Jesus and the walk of discipleship in our lives. We're in here somewhere. All of us are in here somewhere. So we've got to work out which one um, I. First of all, verse 19, is the soil of our hearts hardened? Do we have hard hearts that cannot receive God's word? In, the, in those days in the Palestinian fields, there were walkways where the ground had become hard by people walking, by human traffic. And over time, these walkways would, would actually become like concrete. And so the picture is here is that the seed falls on the surface and is picked up by the birds. So it's, impossible, it's absolutely possible to hear this morning's word, to daily spend time in God's presence and in his word, and to not allow the seed of God's word to take root because our hearts have become hardened. There's a few examples of hearts that have become hardened. Cynicism, disappointment, pride, unforgiveness, apathy, idolatry. Just a few things, but it's important that we ask the Holy Spirit, why is my heart hard? To speak to wise people around you, to speak to leaders in the church and say, look, what's going on here? Is there a barrier here? My heart should be softer, but it isn't. Secondly, read in verse 20 and 21, this is very, very common. People who respond to the message of the gospel and yet do not continue in their walk with Jesus because the initial enthusiasm has worn off. There's an emotional response. They receive the seed by through with great joy, and then trouble came. A pandemic, a ruined relationship, a failed exam. So many different things that can move us, but because it was an emotional response to the call of Jesus, we find that we're not on solid ground. And so it's really important that we are not confused by or even moved by the music, but not by the Holy Spirit. Do not be moved by emotion, but not by the Spirit. And in the Gospel of Luke, looking at the parable of Sarah again, he really highlights this. It's about times of trial and testing, and when temptation comes, we realize, was this just an emotional response? Is it just because I like certain things about Christianity or is it because I follow Christ because he has my entire life? 
Thirdly, verse 22, the cluttered heart. The cluttered heart. And, and one of the reasons we're, for now, going to do it once a month, the, the liturgy that we introduced last week, the generosity liturgy, A, because I think it's very important in terms of our commitment to worship and generosity, but finances, money, can choke the seed. The distractions, the tyranny of things and the obsession of things for our comfort and our security is one of the most potent um, advances of the kingdom of darkness in a Christian's life. And so therefore, we as a church, we need to own it. We need to battle against it. We need to say no. Not at our shores, no. We're a kingdom people. And kingdom people live by a different economy, not of the world, but the kingdom of God which is rooted in generosity and selflessness. It's so, so tragic and indeed common that over time, things crowd into our lives and Christ is elbowed out. He's crowded out. He hangs around on the periphery of our lives, but we drift and we eventually drown. And maybe... For you today, I know for me, it can be ambition, it can be worldliness, it could be our appearance, it could be because we're focusing on working for this world rather than working for the world to come. When we're young, it's often romance. In our midlife, it's often our social network, keeping our friends together, the pressures of money, dealing with disappointment of what has happened in the past. In our old age, it's grandchildren, the garden, just talking about my parents, nostalgia, the past. And all of those things, hear me, are good things. They're good things. A lot of these things are God's gift to us. But if they occupy the place where Christ needs to be, then it is idolatry. So Proverbs says this. If we want to be in that fourth category, the quarter category, the few, and reap a harvest of maturity and long-lasting fruit for the rest of our lives, which is the 30, 60, 100-fold, we need to guard our hearts from being hardened, from being cluttered, from being distracted. And so I just, in conclusion, wrote a couple of things that I think good soil is made up of. And we moved house at the end of April, We've been blessed with a beautiful garden of which um, I don't do anything in. And uh, one of my girls um, has been brilliant doing the gardening and um, has been doing vegetables and various things. And I was thinking about what good soil is made up of. And of course, sterile soil is no good. The dirtier, the better. The dirtier the soil, the more manure and compost and various things, it is best. And that speaks to me of brokenness and repentance. The kind of soil that allows the word to take root, first of all, must be hearts that are broken and repentant. We must guard our hearts against these other conditions, like a hardening of soil. And there are two types of sin that do this. It's the sin 
that we do that causes guilt and shame, which hardens our hearts, or sin that other people do to us that brings anger and rage and unforgiveness and bitterness. And until our hearts are broken and contrite and repentant through God's word, then it cannot penetrate. And so we need to be confronted with this. We need to be in a place of yielding and surrender and repentance to keep our hearts soft. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you had godly sorrow, tears over your own sin? We never really understand the beauty of the gospel and the grace of God and the forgiveness of God until we realize that sin is the heart of our problem. The second thing I, I, I think when it comes to growing good fruit is that we need time. Patience. Every farmer knows this, that we need to allow the seed time to bear fruit. Uh, my daughter had been planting beans and potatoes and various other things, and when we finally came to eat it, it was just the best thing ever. But during all that time, I was thinking, what is going on? Where's, where's the veg? I'm looking at it every day. I'm going down. I'm looking at the soil, and it just, nothing's happening. <laughs> and of course, it sounds so silly. We know that. We know that in the natural, and that's why Jesus used agriculture, because it was such uh, the way of that day in terms of his stories. And I've discovered this in life, is that most of the time that we think nothing's happening, and there's differing weather, and there's problems, and it's hidden. But actually, that's the time that God is doing his best work. In the hidden seasons and the seasons of less. That is where God is at work the most producing growth. You find yourself come out of a season that's difficult. And it's been a time to be patient. And patience doesn't mean we're really good in traffic jams. Can I just say that? Because I've not been bearing that fruit for a very long time. It means you're able to endure under trial. That's what the fruit of the Holy Spirit for patience means. So most growth actually happens when we're patient under trial, when nothing's happening and we come out of it and wow, there's growth, there's maturity. And finally, the reign of God, the reign of the Holy Spirit. We need the reign of the presence of God. We need to figure out, are we quenching or are we grieving the Holy Spirit in any way? Because this will prevent the reign of the presence of God being unleashed in our lives. It's not enough just to turn up on a Sunday and say, come Holy Spirit, and expect God just to do stuff. It's the rest of our days. He's a person walking with him. What pleases him? What grieves him? What's quenching and putting out the fire of his gifts and call in our life. And so we need to allow the reign of the Holy Spirit to fall upon us, fall upon that seed in order to bear fruit. Thank you for listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. 
We hope to see you soon.